How did Scotland do it and who cares? We're now five games unbeaten ahead of next month's playoff semi-final against Israel. And who will be in the lucky few hundred fans who get to a Premiership game on Saturday? Let's hope it is the trickle that eventually leads to a flood. This is the Go Radio Football Show on a Tuesday. Rob McLean, Ali Defoy, Stephen Cragen is with us and we've got some great guests lined up for you. As ever, it's becoming uh, very common, a nightly thing. Last night, Aidan McGeady, Mark Warburton, Stephen McManus. Uh, tonight, we're going to be hearing later from women's football legend Julie Fleeting, the former Rangers midfielder Lee McCulloch, now uh, number two at Hearts, and kicking us off in style with the time at three minutes past five is Celtic legend Peter Grant. Hi, Peter. Evening, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. You're off to training, I believe. Yes, in the training ground already preparing. You know, it's great to have this feeling again after the few months of the lockdown. So delighted to be back. Is that you just starting, Peter? Yes, we started back a week today. So we've been delighted, you know, with the boys. I mean, it's been tough for them, obviously, five months, as it has been for everyone and every walk of life. But to have them back and seeing them on the football pitch again is fantastic. And they're all delighted to be back. So they're like kids with a new toy. That's what it's like. Are you still in shock, Peter, like the rest of us at how Scotland won that game last night? <laughs> Listen, I, I've been there. I know what it's like, so uh, I can't question anything. I mean, I was in Kazakhstan, obviously, so I know what it's like in Israel. Um, the international scene is completely different. You know, even in the periods of time when I was lucky enough to evolve, even as a youngster, the clubs have got such a big pool now, how many minutes, minutes players are wanting. Certain guys can play in certain games and all that. It's a very, very difficult job uh, for Steve. And he's trying to obviously get the right balance in maybe playing not players too many games, too, ma- too many minutes, should, I should say. And it's so, so difficult, the pressure you're under from the clubs now. And I, I feel, obviously, that the international is second rate now compared to the club sides. There is absolutely no doubt of that with the finances that's involved now. The, the managers of the clubs just do not want their players playing in. I always think the players turn up more with a negative than a positive, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, we should say that, that for anybody um, who do, can't remember, uh, Peter was part of the coaching team with uh, Alec McLeish uh, when when he was, was manager. So so do you think that shows in performance, when, when we scratch our heads uh, watching Scotland in the last couple of games and look at these amazing players at top clubs who can't quite get it together... For, for Scotland, um, you just think that's a sign of the times, Peter, do you? It's so difficult, you know, because the players, I mean, there used to be, it's different just in this one because of the break they've had with the five months or whatever, but everybody's at a different level now. There's no way international football should be played before the league seasons are played anyway. I happened to us when I was at West Ham United as assistant manager. The first international ever to get played before the season started was when we were there. And we just spent, I think it was 8 to £10 million pounds on Dean Ashton. So the first international get played on the Wednesday before the league season was kicking off on the Saturday. Dean got injured in it, and it probably ruined Dean's career. And that was injury. It will always come back to haunt him, and he had a real tough time. And believe it or not, I genuinely believe he'd have been probably one of the best England centre-forwards ever. And I'm talking about all the top stars has been. And that's how tragic it was for that kid. And that was the fun first international game that was played because the players are not up to speed. And it's very, very difficult to judge them in this. They are coming into a new season, starting up again. We know this has been completely different, but I don't think it should harm anything. So I feel for the players as well, because they're in the middle of a sort of mini pre-season and all that sort of stuff. So it's not easy. 
And unfortunately last night there was different things in the build up to the game. I can understand as a coach you're prepared for playing against certain players, you know all about the certain players, then you're turning up and you just don't know what you're, know what you're going to be playing against. And that must have been really, really difficult for Steve and his staff and obviously for to give the, the correct information to the players. Well, here's what Steve Clark said immediately after the game. It was Czech Republic 1, Scotland 2. Listen, would have been a fairy tale night for them. For us, was it, we're all sort of hiding to nothing. Everyone told us before the, the start of the game we had to win the game. So we won the game, we take the three points and go home. And uh, he seemed pretty keen to go home uh, as quickly as possible. And so, <laughs> so did Andy Robertson when he was speaking after the match as well. Friday night we were coming out of a game thinking it's cancelled and you know are we getting home and stuff and Saturday was all uncertain and then Sunday you have to focus on the game so I think we've done that but it's been an uncertain weekend for us it's not been ideal at all so look we've dealt with it we've dealt with the, the cards we get given and we've got the we've got the three points in the end. Do you think uh, it was that hiding to nothing scenario Peter where it was a no-win situation for Scotland and and the, the, the Czech Republic team were just thrown together at short notice and, and, and played with that nothing to lose attitude? Of course, you know, it was difficult for them but I think we're a wee bit disrespectful at times. I mean, I can only talk about my time being involved. We played Albania and there was 10 players playing in the Bundesliga and I asked some of the, the press guys that was there, did they know any of the Albanian players? And they said no. And there was guys, 10 of them playing in the Bundesliga and the team. There was one who had a 40 million bid from Chelsea, the captain at the time, was playing at fullback. And we'd sort of disrespected that, you know, but we knew in ourselves the quality of these players. And I think we've got to realise that teams, some teams are good. The Czech Republic last night, I've got a really good infrastructure. When I was with the 20s, we went to Toulon and that, and they were a right, right good side, a very, very good side. So you're hoping the players were going to progress. I'm sure that's what they're looking for. So the instance that happened, it was really, really difficult for Scotland. But I think sometimes we're a wee bit more disrespectful. Our players go out there and there is a sort of... We, we went to Kazakhstan and we got gubbed 3 nothing. I mean, we were really poor. And we, but we had five debuts that night and they were all in the back five. We had Graham Shinney playing at left-back. We hadn't played there for a year and a half. We had young Scott McKenna. Palmer at right-back, you know. You get right through the back four and we started two goals down in the first 10 minutes or something. You know, so it's really, really difficult to get that in a short period of time. Now you've got the sports science involved and everything, which is a big part of the modern day football and I understand big parts of it. But Steve probably did maybe one or two training sessions to try and implement what he's wanting to do. And it's very, very, very difficult, you know, to try and put that all in place while you're bringing players in. Somebody's no fit, somebody's feeling a bit tight. And especially for yesterday for them, because as I say about the pre-season, the way the pre-season is, we should be delighted we've got the three points. We maybe look back and say, wow, what a fantastic three points it ends up being. And everybody will forget that the performance wasn't great. You know, but what a fantastic three points it could end up. And I can understand 100% what he's saying. But it is completely different now to what it is. And it'll never go back. It'll never go back. But I'm talking about every country's the same. The clubs have got so much pull, whether it's England. You see how the England team, they used to tell England team every time they're going to turn up, that'll be that team. If they play well, that'll be the team that plays the next time. Now they change near enough to full 11. You know, and that's yeah. the way international football is now, unfortunately. Peter, it's Stephen Cragen here. How are you getting on? You OK? Hi, Stephen. How, I'm good, thanks, Pat. It's just looking at the two games, you know, you don't get friendly internationals anymore where you can try systems out, you can try players out. Steve used 16 players over the two games, but he has to do that, doesn't he? He has to get a feel for changing the system and, and playing players in different positions, trying to get as many minutes into the players. So when they arrive to play Israel next month, he's in a clearer mind of what setup he wants and personnel. Absolutely. And, and you, know, you know what it's like, Stephen, you've been involved in it yourself. 
And it's very, very difficult because you have a plan in your mind. You'd love this team to play. This is a team I'd like to play in the game. And then for whatever reason, freedom pull out injured. We had that time and time again. And that was the first time I'd obviously realised it before you're on the coaching side. When you're a player, you just go on with it. But when you're on the coaching side, you think, oh, we've got this plan. And then you've, it's not just the player you have to change. Sometimes it's a complete system because that one player. Um, because you've only got so many players that's of that ilk or whatever. And, and listen, you've got Lyndon Dykes coming on now. Who I said last year would even get mentioned, you know, before the, the period they had with Livingston. So he's come out of nowhere. They've done fantastically well over the two games and great credit to him. You know, but that's what we went to in the respect of that. And nobody to mention Lyndon, as I say, if all the other guys probably been fit. But he's been the one that's come through and think, well, he's done very well in the game. The other evening there, he's link up, played, and then he gets in the box to get his goal last night. And he's what deserved that. But, and it's fantastic for him. So he's, Steve's learned that. So there's the positive you've got to take for that. David Marshall's been outstanding. You know, yeah, so we needed him last that, night, didn't we? Yeah, but you've got all these things that come out of it. And there's obviously the biggest thing is Steve's right. And I understand. I don't know what you're like in Scots. We always think, oh, it should be brilliant and this and that. But he is right. It is a massive three points. And if we'd have went to check a public and won, I mean, I was thinking that after the game, you're thinking, if you'd attained four points out of the two games... That's probably the thing you'd thought, well, beat Israel at home and we get a draw in the Czech Republic, it'll be looked upon probably as a good result. If before all the incidents happened, they're having to change their full squad, that's what you'd have probably looked at and thought it was a right good positive result. You've ended up with the four points because Israel are no mugs. Let's be telling you, they're, they're no. no mugs, you know. It's a no. very, very difficult team to play against. Very, very uh, powerful team in the respect of real good energy. You know, they've got players who played it in European games and whatever. So we've got to respect that as well. I think. Considering all the circumstances, coming out with the, the three points from last night was a fantastic result. There's no doubt that. And that's the one thing that we can take from it. And as you said, there was a few performances in there that I'm sure Steve will look at. Of course, there'll be things he's not happy at. Of course, want to control the game better. But I know what it's like when Steve's saying, everybody should know he should have played, this one should have played. But it's very difficult, as I say, because of the fitness issues you have from the clubs. The clubs dictate more than anything now, you, oh, you shouldn't have played them 90 minutes because we told you this slight issue, we've got a big Premier League game on Saturday, and that definitely goes on. Let's not anybody kid you, that which could go on at the international football now. Would you continue with Scott McTominay in a back three, Peter? Listen, I, I, I've never seen Scott playing there. I know he played a couple of games for Manchester United there, and he's a, a wonderful, wonderful professional, you know, deserves all, all the credit and the lucky gets because of the work he puts in and he'll play anywhere for you and I think he deserves great credit for that. As I say, I think Steve's looking at it, you know, in the ideal world would you like to have another right-sided natural centre-back, which people would say who plays in a three, you know. Some of the other boys who are in the group, maybe they'll say, well, two centre-halves on the bench, but maybe one of them's not played in the three before or not comfortable in the three. He's probably looked at that in training. Steve's not dummy. He's been about the game a long, long yeah, time yeah. and he's probably, he's probably looked at that, you know, and he's probably looking at Scott's fantastic mobility. You know, people question different things on him at what you do as a natural defender. But people have got to remember, he can prove Manchester United as a kid and then missed two years of his career, I think. But I think he can prove Manchester United as a centre-forward. You know, so he's probably only maybe a handful of games in his career at centre-half. You know, and now he's playing international football. But he's the sort of kid that will go out there and give his 100%, you know, to play that position. And I think over the two games, he'll probably get away with it. You know, whether that's a long-term, that'll be up to Steve to watch him there the amount of games that Scott gets to play at that level. Um, playing by Manchester United at that level, he maybe have to go out and loan, you know, oh. to learn. Because that's what can happen in this window because Manchester United are signing so many players. So that's something else you have to deal with as well, you know. What do you think, Craig? That's your position. Yeah, it's a different skill set, you know, because you're used to playing in a different area of the pitch. 
your positioning has to be right, you're reading the game, your understanding of space round about you, how high you play, how how deep you are, you know, the, the players beside you, communication's huge. So moving someone in a different position, that's what I'm saying about, you know, there's no friendlies to implement this or try and put people in. He's trying to see if Scott McTominay can play centre, uh, centre half. He had to try it out somewhere. Was it a risk? Probably. But for him to know in his mind, he didn't want to arrive next month playing against Israel and play Scott McTominay for the first time ever as a centre half. He's probably ruled himself out because he did look uncomfortable and he probably won't play centre half again until he comes to Scotland. So it's too big a risk to put it in. But he's taken the risk in the Nations League as opposed to the playoff game. So, um, so, so do you think he'll change it for next month? Well, I'd, I'd said previously that changing from a back four to a back three, you know, he only had probably three or four sessions to do it ahead of these two these two games. To then go back again and you know flick to a back four for the next game, it, c- it can maybe be confusion for the players. So, but he has to find things out. He ha- he has to try things. He has to give players game time. You know, people were complaining on, on on Friday night. You know, the team didn't play well, or you know, this was missing, that was missing. He made five changes for last night, and people complained again. You know, but you're bringing in Kenny McLean, who played in the Premier League last year. You're bringing in John Fleck, who is in the Premier League. Liam Cooper's going to play in the Premier League next year. You know, so you're bringing in quality players. Players have to play so, so Steve can get the best team, the best personnel to try and win the game. It was never going to be fluid. It was never going to be, you know, full of rhythm and open, attacking great football because of, you know, Peter said it, where they are in the season, but also chopping and changing. Do you think there's a lack of realism about how we look at the Scotland national team, Peter? Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's not down to the quality of the players. I don't, I don't mean that in any shape or form. I just, it's completely different now. We're talking about the when I was fortunate enough to be involved just a few times with the national team. But when we turned up on the Sunday, we trained, we trained whether we played on the Saturday or not. We done a full training session. You trained on the Monday, you done the Tuesday, you done the Wednesday morning. Steve will be lucky if he gets Wednesday when we turn up. When I was with the national team, with Alex there, we turned up on the Sunday. We wouldn't have the team together. The first training session, the full team would do together would be the Wednesday and you would play on the Thursday. That that was a completely different for me, you know, because the preparation, what preparation have you got in an afternoon on a Wednesday near enough? Because that was the first time because all the players have got individual training uh, programmes now and because football, they play on a Sunday now. So the guys that played on the Sunday wouldn't be able to do anything. They'd be still doing a cool down over two days to the Tuesday. So the first time they'd be on the training pitch is a Wednesday. And vice versa, the guys that played on the Saturday, they wouldn't be able to train on Tuesday. And we're thinking, why did we turn up on a Sunday? But we just felt it was so important to try and get the video stuff into them and talk to them and why we were sitting there. But it was so, so difficult because at the end of the day, I know as a player, I want to be learning on the pitch. I can watch as many videos as I want, but I just actually want that implemented on the training pitch. And Steve, you just don't get that now. And that's why people talk about the two games now. I wish that we get back to one game. I genuinely do because I think it'd be a lot easier for the manager if it was the one game on the break. So if you play, you can wait up on the Sunday, the game was a Wednesday or the Thursday. I know finances and breaking up all the time. I understand all that, but I definitely thought it was a difference when it was the one game. But when it's the 10 days, a lot of clubs, the players are coming away from. All the players are going to be in holiday for The teams are giving them a week off. They're phoning their pals and they're all sitting in Dubai or whatever. And they're all in international duty. And people wonder why there's people end up uh, drawn out of international duty. I'm not saying that happens with the Scottish boys, but I know for a fact that it happened at the period of time I was doing in England. You know, so it's it's completely different. And I feel for Steve and I feel for the guys because they're top professionals. They're real special guys and they respect it. They want to return up and play for the national team. But there's so many, many things go about the national team now, out with, and I'm talking about other clubs, how they much mean. As I said, talking about Kazakhstan. We went to Kazakhstan and two players weren't allowed to play because it's AstroTurf. 
to your most important players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, know. It's, it's just, you can't, you can't legislate for that, you know, and it was very much part of the way we played, you know, um, and two of them can't play, so that that makes it difficult. So I think I've got to cut a bit of slack for the management side in that respect and the players to be performance because they are getting through together because that, unfortunately, that is international football now. You are getting through together and I think you're going out there hoping more than saying, well, I've guaranteed this. You're hoping that this guy's going to play well. You're hoping that that system's going to work. You know, we have the moaning about Kieran Tierney or Andy Robertson, the best left back. Now people have moaned at us we playing him left centre-half. But you had a fantastic period there for Arsenal left centre-back. But we wanted your best players in the team, you know? Um, and, and that's so important. So all these balances, and everybody is an international manager. Us as supporters, we're all international managers, aren't we? Yeah. We all pick the team yeah. that we think we think's the best. But we don't know what goes in. And that's what I'm saying. That We don't know what goes on. I know I can understand Steve's frustrations, more so because of his involvement myself. And if I hadn't been involved in myself, I'd be asking the same questions as everybody else. Why is this? Why <laughs> yeah. is that? Why yeah. is that? Yeah. Because of actually being in amongst it, I understand 100% the frustrations he has and the disappointment, but also being the Scotland supporter, I always think even if we played Brazil, we should beat Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, that's the way we are. That's the nation we are. Probably that's what makes it that wee bit different. Peter, it's Ali here. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I was just having to think, uh, what have you made of Celtic's transfer window so far? Have you had a chance to see much of it with the likes of Shane Turnbull, Albion Ayeti or David Turnbull? I've not seen much of them. I must admit that the, the players have brought in. I, I think the difficulty always is is what we think we can attract. You know, I think as players, you always, I always seen the best teams and the teams that were successful always brought in players that were even better than the ones they had. It's not as easy to do that now. And people moan about transfer windows. It's very, very difficult because what you would call ordinary players are going for millions and millions of pounds. You know, and unfortunately, in Scotland, we don't pay the types of salaries or obviously transfer fees. So we know the players are out there. If you go to even the second division in England now, trying to sign somebody, well, it was proved with Peterborough, with Tony, what is it, 10, 12 million pounds he goes for? Yeah. You know, um, it's quite incredible, actually. But that's, and as a Celtic not going to play that for a second division player, I'm not sure. You're going to end up getting lucky sometimes that I work with Musa, obviously, at Fulham. And because of the, the circumstances, because he's, it's a training fee you pay for Musa to come to Glasgow. So he can come to Glasgow, does ever so well, and then moves away for the money he doesn't. Unfortunately, that's probably the market you've got to deal in because you can't afford the players you know it's going to make you better. You can't afford them or pay the wages because it's just astronomical down in England now. If you're looking for that type of player to go down there or if any other clubs are involved, they're going to go to the big leagues, you know, and people forget there's a hell of a lot of clubs out there on the same planet as Celtic as a club. But financially, way, way, way ahead. You know, you wouldn't even do off. Well, there is a bit of positive news. I'm not sure if you've heard this yet, Peter, but um, Aloe Athletic are going to be included in this. It's only just come out today that Kickass creator Mark Miller has backed a new Al Cameras in Scottish football. So basically, what it means is that your club, along with 20 other, uh, 21 other lower league clubs, are going to have a state-of-the-art streaming system. So people could be watching in Nebraska, watching Aloe Athletic. What do you think? Fantastic. <laughs> I'm delighted, you know. Now we've just got to put on the performance. <laughs> That's going to swell the fan base, Peter. <laughs> that one in Nebraska. I knew there was a supporters club over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I think it's fantastic. You know, anything that can help the game and sell the game for Scotland. Because I've been, I've been down in England for what, 23 years now. And that's one thing I always championed was the Scottish game because there's a hell of a lot of good in it, you know. And I know we, we get knocked a lot, but. 
I think sometimes when you, you've been down, and I've seen England, as I say, for a long time, and I think it's easy to throw dirt at times, you know, and as I say, there's a lot of things about the Scottish game and the players, about the, the drive, the determination, the guts they've got, and they're learning. They want to learn, and it's, I still say now, even down in England, you know, apart from Manchester United, I'd probably say the pressure that's on the likes of Celtic and Rangers is way beyond any of the other teams down there. And as I say, I've been down there for 23 years now, so probably the same pressure at Manchester United, that's what you'll get at Celtic and Rangers. And, it's, it's ironic watching it all they'd be critical of this one and every player they've probably said for Celtic in the last like they could be Brian McClare's and Henry Larson they wouldn't do it in England yeah. and everyone wouldn't approve it you know so listen I, I'm delighted I'm a, I'm a big champion in Scottish football and it's positive for it I'm delighted and as I say that's the thing we've got to take from last night as we're talking about three, uh, taking the three points take yeah. it as a positive because it could be massive for us now I don't want you getting fined for being late to training <laughs> so we <we're>, better <laughs> You don't want to be starting off I'll, I'll on a bad. For a couple of hours now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, good to talk to you. Fantastic, guys. See all you the best. Soon. Cheers, Give Peter. All the best. Bye, thank you. Bye bye. That's bye-bye. Peter Grant off to training with Alawa on the Go Radio Football Show. The Go Radio Football Show. Yes, wall to wall football chat between five and seven, Monday to Friday. Get involved, and if you miss any of it on the radio, you can always catch up with the podcast. 50,000 plus downloads uh, since we started it. That's like 10,000 a week. Well done, you. Uh, (laughs) My basic maths. Exactly. (laughs) Proving proving very popular. It's good to have you with us and it will be good to get your calls on board as well. Get in touch with us. Get involved. We like talking to you, Ali. How do they do it? If you haven't already, 0808 17 17 700. There's plenty to talk about tonight, of course, with the fixtures coming up this weekend. You might want to mention your team, see what the team thinks, or you could drop us a wee message at Go Football Show on all the socials. And if you like a wee text, 874 put Go at the start of your message. It's just a normal network rate and we can talk to you that way too. And really good news coming your way that two of Saturday's uh, Premiership games that Ali was talking about will be played in front of some fans after the Scottish Government today approved their applications to be test events. Ali, you've got some more detail. Absolutely. It's going to be really exciting. Aberdeen's game with Kilmarnock and Ross County's meeting with Celtic will both have up to 300 spectators. Both home clubs must ensure supporters are from their local areas and must provide a post-match report. So Aberdeen have confirmed that 300 places will be allocated after a ballot of the first 7,500 fans who bought their season tickets and they are also hopeful of being allowed to welcome 750 people into their game against Motherwell at Pitodry next week. So County will also run a ballot of season ticket holders who are Staggy's Army members. So one of the games is in Dingwall and this was Ross County manager Stuart Kettlewell earlier in the day before it was all confirmed. I think we'd be delighted even if it's in small numbers just to see some of our uh, supporters back into the ground. Um, I know through speaking to a lot of the the local people to get back in at the earliest opportunity, if if that could be this weekend, uh, delighted. Yeah, there's going to be fans in at uh, Ross County at the weekend and also some fans at Aberdeen against Kilmarnock. This is Derek McInnes. Getting them in is, is clearly a step in the right direction. You know, we've tried to replicate a normal atmosphere at times in the home games, you know, cranking the music up, just trying to be as normal as we can. But at the same time, when the players run out and there's no supporters there, then it, it's far from normal. So getting... Some fans in will be a start in that uh, step in the right direction. And I'm sure it's welcomed by everybody, none more so than supporters. That was Derek speaking on Red TV. This is the Go Radio football show and Craig's really encouraging news. We're talking hundreds here. 
Um, but it's a start. Well, it's a small step, Rob, but, you know, I think pl- uh, players and, and, and clubs, board members, just to get the game started again, they were quite happy to go with empty stadiums. But I think as it's progressed and things are moving forward a little bit, this is a huge step for just to try and get some sort of atmosphere back into the ground. There's no doubt that, you know, players respond from the crowd, crowd respond to the players. And I think just for the mental well-being of supporters, knowing there's light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. that they can get back to their normal routine or even something close to their routine, you know, the affection they have for their football club. I think people will appreciate their football club even more so after these tough times because it was their, for some people, it was their you know, release. Sometimes it was the, the only time they were out of the house and mixing with other people was going to the football on the Saturday and getting that good feeling, win or losing. Um, so I think the fact that they have you know, started this process and, and, and hopefully it will gather pace quite quickly. Everything off the pitch is fine. So um, let's hope it's a clean bill of health at the weekend and, and everybody does what they should be doing. And even in recent days, um, we've had that sinking feeling of these uh, local lockdowns and it feels like a mm. step in the wrong direction, doesn't it? Back into those dark days, just as we thought we were hopefully edging uh, towards a, well, a better world and, uh, and the ability to... You know, as you say, to let off steam and get get back to watch a yeah. football match. Listen, I think this is going to be the case over the next matter of months, isn't it? There's going to be little pockets pop up here and there that, you know, you may have to go back into some sort of lockdown. I think if the news had have come out today that that football as a whole it wasn't going to happen, I think it would have been a real blow psychologically. I think for the for the clubs themselves, for the you know for the effort and the work they've put in for supporters who may be getting to go and see their team. So, I think it's just it'll bring a smiled a lot of people a lot of happiness back to them um, you know football plays such a huge part in people's life and you know you can be on social media you can watch it on the TV but there's nothing like being at that game and you know even if there's only 300 people I was at the for first for some people it's your friends though isn't it because that's your yeah. your family your football yeah, family and, and not being able to see them some of them might not have each other's numbers they might just only yeah. see them when they sit a couple of rows behind them or in exactly. front of them at the game so you know as long as people do what they're told and, and, and follow the protocols that hopefully this can escalate quite quickly. I mean, Pataudry holds what infant? 20, 22,000. So mm. 300 should be easy into there. Yeah. I understand they're doing it just to try and put the protocols in place. But, you know, if 750 for the following week against Motherwell, that's a huge jump with regards to, you know, it's 50% more. So hopefully, uh, you know, that can go well as well. And then suddenly we can start filling up the stadiums with season ticket holders. You know, most clubs could hold their season ticket holders, Rob, spread out throughout the ground. Um, but I'm guessing it's just getting in and getting out and. You know, I, I was reading something. I think there's been a something released about all fans have to wear face masks. You yeah, know, you, you can't go to the probably. The, the I would guess just from having to go in on a Saturday yeah. when I'm fortunate enough to go in, I need to wear a face mask when I'm yeah. not on camera. The same as you, probably. Yeah. So there will be lots of things. I was at the first game. I've said before, I was at the first game in in, in the UK, the 31st of July. It was the Irish Cup final over in Belfast, and there was announcements made every 10 minutes to supporters to make sure you, you, you social distance, make sure you're following the protocols and just reminding people as they go because they wanted to do things right. So I'm sure that will be the case over the weekend as well. What do you think about some fans getting back into football matches? It's good news and let's hope it can uh, spread quickly to other grounds and other clubs, other teams as well. So far, it is Aberdeen and uh, Ross County. Ross County against Celtic on Saturday and it's Aberdeen against Kilmarnock. We're told that there'll be a further Scottish Government update on when fans might be able to return to stadia more widely. That's expected on, I think it's Thursday uh, the 10th of September but you would imagine it's going to be a really slow and painstaking mm. process because they'll have to evaluate what happens this weekend before they contemplate taking another step yeah. forward it'll be interesting how, how they collate all the information 
you know, is there going to be meetings after? I know they said there's been a report. Will there be anybody from the Scottish government, you know, out at the stadium to make sure people are following protocol or is that the responsibility of the clubs to do that? Um, away fans in the future, it seems a long way off for away fans, doesn't it? I think it said that, you know, home fans can get in, but they have to be from the area. So yeah. people living out with Aberdeen or living out with, you know, the Ross County supposed catchment area in the central belt that won't be able to go to the game. So, you know, they'll have to pick and choose carefully to make sure they are following everything that goes along. But Don't this is going to envy be, anyone yeah, having to do that. No, well, this is going to be a process that's going to take a long time, Rob. But I think even just as I say, getting people in, you know, that game I was at, there was only 500, but at least there was a bit of noise and there was something for the players to react off. There was a little bit of singing went on. That's another thing. Our fans allowed to sing because I know certainly in the pubs and clubs, the, the TVs have to be off. There's no music allowed. I wonder what happens. Is it? On Saturday. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that's the that's been the case for the last couple of weeks. Because you're not, but we ha- so it's admitted we have the music playing as if the fans were there. I'm talking about in pubs and clubs, sorry. Ah, so I was thinking. But I'm just wondering if that music's on and the fans are in. If they're if they're wanting to stop the singing, I I don't know if that oh. would be anything to do. Again, these are things that need to be ironed out, and we'll have to keep an eye on. So we heard from Stuart Kettlewell there on the prospect of fans back in Dingwall. But what about uh, Ross Stewart, the star striker in Dingwall? He's certainly attracting attention. That's been the case for a while, uh, but this transfer window goes on forever. So I wonder how much longer uh, Ross Stewart is going to be at Ross County. Yeah, listen, there's been another couple of bids for Ross, but again, it's it's all falling seriously short of the mark of uh, what we value the player. So um, again, I'll just stress that fact that there's no change on, on our scenario. So no change um, as far as Stuart Kettlewell goes, but I think the interest is is heightening, isn't it, in Ross Stewart? What, what's his contractual situation, Craigs, and and where do you think he's going to end up? Well, he's out of contract at the end of the season, so he's he's well into his his final year of his contract. Um, I imagine this will rumble on until the window shuts in early October. If he doesn't move before then, then it will rumble on till January. You know, for for people coming in, it does seem as if uh, Ross will move on eventually, somewhere along the line. But I think, you know, when you take him out of the team, I think he's their best player. He's their best attacking threat. I've watched him quite a lot this season. The last two or three games, he hasn't been himself. He's looked a little bit off the pace. And you just wonder, is that speculation starting to build? You know, Stuart has has previously said that he spoke to his representatives. His representatives have spoken. You know, he speaks to Ross quite regularly about it. So it's clear in his mind and it's affecting his play maybe at times. But to lose that kind of goal threat, I mean, I think when the opposition know that Ross is in the team, there's a chance he can score. Um, he carries a threat for them. He's a good physical presence. So if they lose him and lose his personality, it's a big void to fill for them. You know they want to try and keep hold of him as much as they possibly can. So unless they get an offer, they think we have to take this. It looks like he'll be staying. Yeah, but it's it's um, do you keep his goals for a little bit longer, or do you settle for the maybe few hundred thousand pounds that might mm. come their way, which for a club of Ross County's size makes a big difference. Well, you'd have to balance that up with regards to how he's playing. You know, if he's not getting the goals and he looks a little bit off the pace, and, you and think, the transfer talk has and got you think to he's him, been, yeah, yeah. And, and you think he's been affected. You know, not that he's down in tools and not trying, but just sometimes it affects your, you know, your mindset and your thinking. Where am I going to go? Am I going to be here? Is it going to happen? That unsettledness, isn't it? Of course it does. It, it, it unsettles you, puts some little doubts in your mind. So when it gets to that stage and there's an offer on the table, you may have to think it's better if he goes for us to bring someone else in. So that's the next bit. Then is Stuart will already be working. That if he does go, what can we do? Who can we get in? Lee Irvin has, has missed a few games. Ollie Shaw hasn't played an awful lot. Uh, Billy Mackay is up there as well. But you think if they lose that uh, you know, physical presence of Ross, they're going to have to bring someone else in. So he'll be thinking on his feet and trying to get you know, that chain reaction. Once one goes in, can you come and fill the void? 
Let's hear a little bit more as well from Derek McInnes. It's not so very long ago since Aberdeen had a striker crisis. I don't think they had any of them available for the match in Perth against St Johnston after their 19-day uh, uh, dearth of games on the back of the opening game of the season when they lost at home to Rangers. It's been four wins since then and uh, things are improving all round for Aberdeen because uh, strikers are on the way back. Suddenly they've got competition for places and uh, Sam Cosgrove could be back playing for Aberdeen by the middle of next month. We get good news from Sam yesterday. We scan, uh, uh, everything's healing as we, we'd hoped. And he will now step up his work. We'll see him on the training pitch in the next couple of weeks. So he'll be doing some grass work over the next 10 days, two weeks, with the physios building up his aerobic fitness. And we just need to make sure that we don't throw too much work at him while that's still healing. But the, the, well, the, the cartilage was um, in good good situation so we can now with confidence think we can have Sam back with us in maybe four or five weeks time uh, ready to play yeah, Sam Cosgrove uh, making good progress on the way back. It's incredible, isn't it? Because you don't have to think back uh, very far at all to to the point at which Cosgrove was injured and out. Uh, Ryan Edmondson uh, on loan from Leeds, injured early on and heading back to his club for treatment. Curtis Main wasn't ready. Um, Bruce Ma and, and yeah, Bruce Anderson, Marley Watkins has come in now, and and shortly they're going to have four or five strikers uh, competing potentially for one slot if they if they go with one up front. But the news the news of Cosgrove is is really encouraging for an Aberdeen side who've already been making progress. Absolutely, you know, you just wonder does he get a game? You know, when you look at the impact that Marley Watkins has made, um, you know, his pace. You know, he stretches the game, he can take the ball under feet. I just think he's given him a different dimension. Sometimes when Sam Crossgrove played, there's a tendency for players, Rob, that because you know you see that target man, you just continually throw it forward. You know, deal with that. And there's not a lot of quality sometimes. You throw it up to his head, he's getting bashed about. Whereas they've had to think differently. I think they've had to change their style of play. You know, they've got a much more dynamic look to them when you bring in Johnny Hayes and Matty Kennedy off the sides. Um and Watkins up the top. You just think to yourself, that's always what Aberdeen lacked was real pace to hurt teams. Always well organised, always well drilled, but having that pace on the counter attack. I mean, Easter Road they were terrific. You know, they had Hibs, they managed the game well, they always had that threat and attack. And I just think he gives them that different option. He's, I think, he's better as a as a number nine playing and, and running beyond, creating space for everyone else. So when Crossgrove comes back, does Derek then change his system again? Does he play Watkins wide? Does he bring, um, does he play him as a front two? So first and foremost, there's options for Derek. That's what will please him most. And I think his recruitment over the summer, bringing in Johnny Hayes, uh, bringing in Ross McCrory, bringing in Marley Watkins, they've made a real difference to the first 11. It's not just the squad that's been beefed out, they've made a real difference to the first 11. And Aberdeen are looking as strong now as they have done in the last three or four years for me. What's on your mind, football-wise? Let us know. Get in touch and you too could be on the Go Radio Football Show. 0808 17 17 700. The Go Radio Football Show. The Go Radio Football Show on a Tuesday. Rob McLean, Ali Defoy, Stephen Craig in here. Earlier we heard from uh, Peter Grant putting up a putting up a defence. Really, I guess he was. It sounded like it anyway for for the uh, Scotland management team who've been taking a lot of stick. Um, I don't know how much more stick they'd get if we had zero points out of six. We've got four out of six. We're top of the table after those two Nations League games. Results certainly better than performance. And let's hope we can get the job done next month, of course, when it's the playoff semi-final against Israel. And hopefully we can t take a step towards the championship finals. Let's hear next from Julie Fleeting. Hi, Julie. 
Hiya, how are you? Very well, thank you. Julie Fleeting, um, 100... Let me get this right. I, <laughs> I, I, I was reading it earlier and I can't quite believe it. 121 caps for Scotland, 116 goals. Is that right? Because I'd hate to get it wrong because you would tell me. No, no, as far as I'm aware, that's, that's the correct stat, yeah. That's, that's, as wow. many, that's as many goals as you can remember. <laughs> I've actually got a terrible memory. I can barely remember back then, but um, yeah, I think that's that's what it seems to be sitting at. Um, it, oh, well, that's what it's going to remain at. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, no, I'm very, very lucky that I've been able to um, not just play for my country, but captain my country so many times and um, fantastic memories from throughout my career, all the way from the start back when I was 15 to to the very end there so yeah just feel really honoured to have had that opportunity Were you watching the men's team through your fingers last night? <laughs> yes a, a bit I was um, tough to, to go behind and um, I think I felt confident for the majority of it that um, we were going to get the correct result not not a great performance or one that was enjoyable to watch from a Scotland point of view but I think we'll all agree that um, the result was exactly what we needed, what we wanted, and, and the most important thing in the end. Yeah, I mean, we'd certainly have settled for four points out of six when going into those two games, and we probably would have guessed if, there were, if we were going to get four, they would come the other way around. Uh, we'd probably beat Israel uh, last Friday, and, uh, and a draw mm. against the, the full-strength Czech Republic team last night would have been a, would have been a fantastic result. But, um, I mean, there are some worrying signs there, though, aren't there? Because we're, we're carrying luck at the moment, which is great, um, but but good luck uh, generally runs out at some point, Julian. We're hoping it, it, we can carry a little bit more into next month. Yeah, I mean, obviously the circumstances last night has been a lot of the talking point about the poor performance and the and the quality of side that they were coming up against. But you can only beat who's in front of you, and and they managed to do that. I think and Steve Clark, they've got a fantastic manager. I think. It's very difficult for inter in international football because you only have so many days to work with your players, and they all then go back to their club and they're used to playing in those systems. And it's not long to to try and shape your team and um, find out who you want to play for you. And um, it's it's not an easy situation to be in. And um, I think all of the players will agree and that they are confident in the manager that the management team that they've got. And I mean, yeah, we, we do have we do have a good squad of players. It's just trying to find the best system to play them all in, and also just getting that that one result that or the one performance that might just make everything click. Um, but I'm confident in the players that we've got and the management staff that um, at some point it's just going to click and fall into place because there's definite quality there. Julia, a word that's used in football quite a lot is momentum. And irrespective mm -hmm. what all the doubters look at, you talk about five games unbeaten, irrespective who you play against, international football, five games unbeaten, there's a little bit of momentum driving into this game next month, which, let's be honest, is the be-all and end-all for Scotland. Win there next month, and then you get the chance to prepare for another playoff game. So momentum's that big word. Absolutely. And it's very difficult to get in international football because you don't have the daily input, working with the players every day, games every week, they go back to their club and everyone's in a different situation when they go to their club. They, some people are not even playing every week and um, it is difficult to try and get that momentum when you're in international football. But um, I'm sure the players 
the managers, the, the coaching staff, they'll be drilling into them that it was an important three points. This is what we take from it and, and we can move on. And as you say, it is all about momentum and, and they can be confident, confident going into the next game because they are getting the results that they require at the moment. But, I mean, you'd you'd expect more though. I mean, I don't want to be the big bad wolf here, and and, and I am. Well, you're going to be. I'm, but, well, yeah. No, <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm delighted that we've got four points out of six. But but I'm also, as a Scotland fan, I'm worried about um, about next month because, you, you know, Julie, you talk about the players. Yeah, I mean, you you go through the list. You, you look at the quality of the players. Mm-hmm. You you know what they produce at club level. Yep. But I mean. That it didn't. I mean, with a couple of exceptions last night, David Marshall was outstanding. Thank goodness. Lyndon Dykes yeah. is a major discovery. Two big pluses. Um, not not a whole lot else. I don't think. No, no. I, I would agree with you in terms of performance. Um, but where the players are playing, some of them are playing in arguably the best league um, in the world at the moment, and they're producing at club level and. You just do wonder what will it take for it to spread throughout the squad and, and to really get that performance that's going to get the fans on their feet and excited about the game. And I, I know what you mean because at the moment it's it's not enjoyable watching them all the time. You are uncertain of how the game's going to go. And although we do have those bright lights and, and what we think are going to be um, stars in the future for, for Scotland, it, it is a tough watch. It's not easy. You're not entertained throughout the 90 minutes, and and that is what we want. We want to be on our feet, and we want to be loving what we're seeing. And at the end of the day, as results, but I understand what you're saying. You, you do want entertained, and um, what we have within the squad, you think we should be. I think they look a little bit fearful, if I'm honest. I think they know what's coming if things don't go well. You know, they know the backlash. You know the expectation. And the expectation, I don't know where it comes from because, you know, when was the last time you went to a Scotland game or, you know, home or away and you yeah. thought, that was really enjoyable. I loved how we played. I loved how we were open. I loved how we got at teams. We created lots of chances and we dominated the game. It hasn't been that for a long, long time. Yet this expectation for me, Julie, still remains as high as that. Whereas, you know, maybe if things were dropped and lessened a little bit, of course, you know, you still expect more for some players. And people said that the Czech Republic team were through together last night and it was the first time they'd played together. That's probably the first time that Scotland eleven have played together. Yeah. And you're trying to build relationships and they're trying to get their fitness, they're trying to get their sharpness, all this coming together. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, it's never easy when you meet up with, with the squad and you can understand that the players are not used to playing with each other and the, the team's not. They, they're picking different players each time and, and they start in 11 and you never get that continuity. Uh, but... I don't know if they're in the back of their mind they have the idea of we haven't qualified for a long time, mm-hmm. this is down to us, and whether that pressure is too much for, for some of the players, because it's it's not as if every qualification that, that we go to the finals and we have that type of pressure, but it's been spoke about so often that everyone's desperate for a Scotland team to take us there, and on the players' shoulders is that kind of pressure of the, the country is desperate to to get us um, to a, a a major tournament, and it, it looks like that at times for some of the players that they are worried that they're then going to be another team who who fail yeah. to and, and, qualify. And, and yet, I mean, we are as a national team, we are associated with failure because it's been happening all the time mm-hmm. since 1998. These players, the class of 2020. 
is not associated no. with failure because they, were, they, they weren't they weren't around when we, no. when we last qualified. But they keep getting asked about it. That keeps getting brought up. And the only example I can give you is Northern Ireland hadn't qualified for a major tournament from 1986. They qualified for the first ever Euros in 2016. And the two campaigns since then, there's been such a freedom in the team. I know we get gubbed last night and, and things could be tough moving forward. But for that spell after qualifying, they turned up believing they could win games. They turned up, you know, full of belief that the group they had was strong enough. People come out of their shells, were producing performances for, for Northern Ireland that they weren't producing for their club. And there was just something together that, that just united everybody. And it's as if that's what Scotland need at some stage. To qualify for a tournament, that pressure comes off. Mm. People stop asking those questions back to 1998 and they can build a legacy moving forward. That's what needs to happen. But the hard bit is going to be getting there. Yeah. And I think the European Championships are going to be their best way of doing that. Yeah, and I think, I think Julie, I mean, that, that's why we're all so wrapped up in this game next month. I mean, this game... That game doesn't settle it, but it does get us to the final. It gets us a step nearer to to qualification. And 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 as Craig says, you do get that feeling, don't you, that if we did make it, then we could all sort of just breathe a massive sigh of relief and and maybe get back to normal. And I think then you you know what it's like. You win, you you reach the tournament, or you you're in a winning streak. When you get into good habits, then it kind of generally falls that follows that pattern and. I think that's just what we we need. I think it's that one qualification to a major tournament to, to get that experience behind the players, to know what it feels like, to know exactly what you're fighting for. Because at the moment, it, it's kind of unknown to them. They don't know how amazing it, it could be for them, what it would be like to to play against the best players in the world at that tour, type of tournament. So I, I think it is. It's about that one that winning mentality knowing what it's like to, to grind out the results and get you there and, and what it be, would be like when you're there. And I absolutely agree with uh, what Sam's saying is about Northern Ireland. I, I think if we had that, then we would be a different national side. I think we would play with a bit more freedom yeah. and um, have that winning mentality. And you break the cycle. I think that's the key to yeah. it, break the cycle. People that's, stop the phrase, ask, that's the phrase I was looking yeah. for. <laughs> People stop asking those questions. The players have been there, they've experienced it. They're young enough to think we can go again and we can go again. There's two or three campaigns in them, but it is just getting over that hurdle and it is a huge hurdle to get over. And I just think the players look as if they're they're carrying it on the pitch and they're thinking, yeah. if we don't win this, if we don't perform, people are coming for us, we're going to be in the papers, we're getting battered left, right and centre. That's a huge pressure to bring into international football. I think it's a burden for them. Quite possibly. Um, Julie, it's Ali here. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Um, you were involved in Soccer Aid at the weekend. That must have been an amazing experience. Oh, it was. It, it was just, it's very surreal now. Um, to, to my husband and the kids back at work teaching again today. It just <laughs> it just seems like all of a bit of a dream. Um, but it, it was fantastic so just to be involved um, with the celeb footballers with the celebrities that you watch on the TV, you listen to on the radio, and just a fantastic cause. So it was an incredible experience, and uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. But back down to earth with a bang today, back teaching. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's great memories. How did you play? <laughs> always, always, cr- oh, f- football players always critical of themselves. How did you play, Julie? Well, I, I tell you, I think I had one touch of the ball, and I only got a touch because I get in the way of Darren Fletcher's shot. <laughs> so that was that was almost my only touch. So I'm holding the ball print on my thigh. Um, I get in the way of him maybe scoring a goal for my team, 
Um, so, I mean, take what you want from that. That was my performance. <laughs> Julie, was, was there any celebrities? I was actually calling John Terry, so there oh. <laughs> uh, was little chance of me getting on the ball. Was there any players, Julie, that are celebrities that you thought, I didn't expect them to be quite so good? Um, probably not that I didn't expect them to be good, but I didn't really know Dermot um, Kennedy was very good. Um, I knew about him as a singer and listening to him on the radio, but um, he was impressive um, from my own side. Uh, it, it was great just working with people who are not in and around football and seeing them in a different light. So Jason Manford, Ian Sterling, um, guys that are really funny and fantastic on stage. And then when they come to football, it's, they're a bit more vulnerable because it's not something that they're used to. And um, just really normal people, great group of people who were so good to to me, including me, and uh, just valuing you as a person and as a player. And uh, no, it was a it was a great experience. Anyway, that's you back to reality. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> and I'll hopefully see you at a football match soon because the last time we were at together was uh, Kilmarnock Ford Dundee United nil, which was rather that's enjoyable. Right. Yep. So uh, take care, Julie. Yeah, good, good to hear from you. you. And we'll speak Thank to you, you soon. That Cheers, is uh, women's football legend Julie Fleeting. Latest score from the Scotland Under 21s. They're playing in Lithuania at the moment, and it is nil nil. That match still in progress. We'll give you the final score when it gets there. Oh eight, oh eight, seventeen, seventeen, seven hundred. The Bull Radio Football Show. Another hour of football chat has slipped by. It's amazing how quickly it goes. The Go Radio football show, Rob McLean, Ali Defoy and Stephen Cragen. How do you get in touch? Here's the answer. If you haven't already, give us a call 0808 17 17 700. We want to talk Scottish football with you. And Sean has got in touch at Go Football Show. If you want to do the same, join us on the socials or drop us a text. 87474 Go at the start of your message. And uh, anything you want to say, really. Normal network rate, nothing fancy. Aaron is in touch with us on the show. Aaron, hi. Hi, how you doing? Very well, how are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. What would you like to say? Um, I just got a little question for you guys about um, about Celtic striking department. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I, I I think we could do another quality striker um, in, in the squad. I mean, obviously, we brought in Ayeti. Yep. Uh, fairly unproven. Uh, Klamala just looks like a like a shot in the dark. You know, he'd look an absolute gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, Griffiths was obviously he was a great striker I don't think he's going to be back to even half the player he was um, but if you look back at previous years obviously Griffiths did come in and done a great job then Bailey came in to take over for him and then Edward was already in the building for when then Bailey did leave um, so I just feel obviously inevitably um, Edward's going to leave at some point but I don't feel like we have uh, a good enough striker to take over from Edward. Um, I feel like the board waste way too money, too too much money on unknown players. Um, every single year, there seems to be players all over the park that uh, they just don't seem to get a look in. I'd rather they saved that money and spent it on a higher quality striker. Um, like like Edward, we went and spent nine million on him, um, and it's paid off. You know, yeah. To see what you guys think of that, Stephen Craigan. Yeah. I just think it's a hard one because if you're going to go and spend top money on a striker, if you spent that £9 million again on another striker, would he play or would Edward be the number one? You're not going to attract a top-class striker knowing that Edward is there. I think yeah. it may only be that if Edward leaves, 
there would be irons in the fire to replace him with that top-class striker. Um, yet he got some minutes for Switzerland over the international break. Klamala, you're right. Listen, you know he's unproven. He's only a young player. Uh, he looks a little bit raw at times. Lee Griffiths, you know, goodness knows when he'll be back. Or you're right, what kind of level he'll be at. So there is a a huge concern that if that if Odson Edward leaves, he leaves you know a, a huge hole. And there's no doubt that you know since he's missed missed those games recently, Celtic have looked a different team with him in the team. They carry such a threat. Um, he creates so many chances, scores some great goals, but I can only imagine they would they would replace or bring in a top class striker if he leaves. I don't imagine they'll bring another one in. You know, Neil Lennon will have to work within a budget. You know, spending money on on a on a Yeti, uh, Klamala, Odson Edward, Lee Griffiths. That's four strikers who will be bringing in. You know, will be getting paid good wages. So to suddenly add a fifth one to that, I don't imagine that would be something they will do short term. I mean, there's a reason that Albion a Yeti. Um, isn't starting so far apparently even though he's come off the bench and scored twice already for them but he, he hasn't played he hasn't been playing regular football for a long no. time because he didn't get much game time with West Ham Patrick Klimala is a mystery isn't he because he's he's not a new arrival he's been there for a while yeah. so why so why is he not ready I mean all he all he seems to make is is bit part appearances yeah I think that would tell you that Neil Lennon doesn't have full trust in him at the minute he doesn't think he's the he's the strike that he's looking for. He obviously felt that Ryan Christie was a better option to play as an out-and-out out number nine than Patrick Clamalla was himself. He's went to win international duty. He scored against Estonia during the week. Um, I think he played 70-odd minutes. He's, it's half-time in their game tonight. He started that one as well. So the excuse for him not to be match fit is now out the window because he's played two games over the international break. So he's coming back keen, ready to go. Uh, they, you, they could have paid a couple of million for Lyndon Dykes when you look at what he's done in the in the yeah. two Scotland games. Yeah, well, the, the thing is they had they had signed uh, Klamala last January, Rob. So you know that would have been adding another striker just as a as a backup. Would would Lyndon Dykes go straight into the Celtic team? Probably not. You know, if you're spending five million pounds on Ayeti, you're going to like to think he's ahead of Lyndon Dykes. Time will tell whether that's the case. So, um, what about yourself, Aaron? Would you rather them go with a front two or? Or what's your kind of balance up there? Definitely two up top. I mean, you just look back to last season when we switched to the two up top. It, it was just so much, so much better, so much more goals in the team. Um, I just don't know. Obviously, Edward, he came in. He basically sat on the bench for a season, didn't he? While Dembele was there, he came up, played small parts of that season. But when Dembele left, that means Edward, like obviously, had the full season under his belt to kind of mix with the team. And get to know his teammates, so I don't know if that's why he's became such a good player because he's he's had that experience kind of in and around the team. Um, whereas if of I think he'll stay this season, but if he goes at the end of the season, that means we're then having to bring in someone else who needs to be hitting the ground running, which could like eventually put a bit too much pressure on him. You know, but, I mean the the recent record of recruitment is. Pretty good. I mean, yes, you know, you're you're pointing out some players, Aaron, that, that Celtic have signed that, that haven't worked out, and that's that's always going to be the case. There is a, an element of scattergun about it at times, but when you look at some of some of the signings and some of the profit that Celtic have made on a on the on Wanyama, Van Dyke, and Fraser Forster, yeah. and, and and all the rest of it, you know, the, the Celtic's recruitment has been has been pretty good. They followed up Dembele with 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 Odson Edouard, and who's to doubt them that they might. Not have another gem tucked away for. They must have a contingency plan for Edouard leaving. Nobody, nobody at Celtic will want him to go in this most important of seasons. But if a certain offer, if a silly offer comes in, yeah, they'll they'll probably have to say yes. 
Well, the thing is, he's back playing now, isn't he? He's play, he played and, and he scored two goals and two under twenty one internationals. So he's got himself yeah. back fit again. And, and that's and that's you in the big shop window. Yeah, Scot- Scottish football isn't the big shop no. window, but when you're playing for the French under twenty ones, lots of clubs yeah. are looking towards that team and, and other some of the other big national teams mm. under twenty one setups. Yeah, you know that's where you're going to get your 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 gems that haven't quite made it at the top Correct. level. But you also look at it and think there's no Champions League football for him this season. You wonder is that in his mindset that he wants or he would like to have played in the top tournament, the top stage where people will see him. And you know, you think back, that's where uh, Dembele got his move from. You know, from how he performed in the Champions League games, and people thought, oh, you know, he, he scored against Man City, he'd done that. So you just wonder is that going through his mind? There was concerns of Celtic letting him go to play in international duty because he wasn't fit to play for Celtic. But ultimately, he's going to come back fit. He's going to come back fresh and ready to go in the Neil Lennon side this weekend away to Ross County. So um, a lot of it will depend on what Odds and Edward thinks and what his mindset is and what his approach is to it. He doesn't, you know, he, he's not very emotional, is he? He doesn't, you know, I'd imagine he's low maintenance. So, uh, but ultimately underneath, if he's got ambitions and aspirations to go and play at the highest level and that offer comes in, if he says to Celtic, I want to go, the whole dynamic changes and then they really have to start to look how to replace and you know how do you bring him in. Are you fearful, Aaron, that, that Odds and Edward could go at some stage this season and leave a huge hole in what is a big season for Celtic? I hope not. Um, obviously, it is a big season. I feel like we have to be planning further ahead, though. Um, obviously, it focuses on 10 in a row, but I think it should be on 12, 13, 14 in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the squad there to do it. We've got, uh, obviously, finances there to do it. Um, but ideally, I would hope him. I would hope he would want to stay for this season, and then he'd go to our best wishes at the end of the season. He'd go down as a legend if he if he fired us to ten in a row. Absolutely. Where does Europe feature in your priorities, Aaron, for Celtic? Um, sadly, I think Europa League's our uh, our level. Um, we all want Champions League football, but I mean, you look at the money and the squads in that competition each year. It's, it's scary. Um, but obviously we should be doing better than second round second round uh, mm-hmm. defeat. Um, hopefully, Edwards and other big players at the club won't look too much into that. Um, hopefully they'll they'll want to kind of stay and help the team this season, and hopefully Europa League will um, kind of suffice that. But I mean we've still got a couple of qualifying legs to get into that, so there's no there's no guarantee for that either, you know. So um, yeah, fingers crossed, but. It's, uh, it's certainly a big season for us. Do you, so, in your mind, is it let's get ten, get ten this season, and and then maybe Europe becomes more of a priority on the back of that? Because obviously, international reputation uh, is pretty important as well. Celtic, it's the prestige, isn't it, that comes with qualifying and playing in the the champion, Champions League group stages? Yeah, I obviously ten in a row is the the most important thing. Um, I've been waiting obviously ten years for it. Um, to be able to rub it into the, the faces of the other side of the city it's, uh, I'll be pretty good as well so um, aye, no, absolutely it needs to be done So, yeah. And do you think it could be these moves in the transfer market that are quite decisive because things could change dramatically couldn't they where odds and Edouard to be sold where it to be the offer that Celtic can't refuse if Rangers um, offload Alfredo Morelos which, which I, I guess you would say at the moment looks reasonably likely and do do the the two guys signed uh, Cedric Eaton and and Kemar Roof 
Do they have the goals that, that will replace Morelos? There are all sorts of variables, aren't they, in this extended transfer window yeah. that, that could have a big say in, in the title race? I mean, it could work with, with a few positions in the team. I mean, we've just signed, obviously, Shane Duffy, um, hopefully to play three at the back. But there's big rumours that Ayer's going to be going, so that could then throw a spanner in the works uh, that way. Um, does that mean we then need to go and splash the cash and bring another centre-half in? Um, I mean... And Cham might be going, Rogic might be going. It's, uh, I mean, I just kind of want to transfer into a shirt, to be honest. But, um, Are you happy with um, Shane signing, Duffy signing? Yeah, I, I think he'll be a, like a biggest signing this season as Foster was last season. I think he's he's top quality, and I think he, to be honest, I think he's too too good for the SPFL. Have you watched um, the two Irish games? Did you watch the both of them over the international window? I seen the first one. Um, obviously, it was a bit shaky. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, Obviously, scored the last minute equaliser. Um, so that's he's obviously a threat from set pieces, yeah. which is what we need to be honest. We don't score enough goals for set pieces. Um, so I, I think he'll be a massive signing for us. And obviously, he's a massive Celtic fan, so he'll give everything for the cause this season. Absolutely. Yeah, I just thought he looked a little bit short in the two games. I think fitness-wise, at Brighton, yeah. he was slightly behind. You know, when you think at Celtic, probably started back what late June, early July. He he, he was probably back early August you know so he is a little bit down on fitness wise but you know it is up to him to get himself up to speed I think those two games will have done him a world of good I think he said himself that you know he hadn't played particularly well in both games but that comes from you know it's that question of how long does it take you to get back up to speed and I always think central defenders it takes that a little bit longer bigger physically maybe you know a little bit heavier than the rest the reading of the game the timing of the game just it just takes things a little bit longer so um, but certainly, you know, he could go and play against Ross County on Saturday. But again, it'll be interesting to see if Neil reverts back to the back three and allows James yeah. Forrest to go down one side, El Yunusi. And I think that's why people like the back three. It's, it's two wing-backs at times were wingers and they were really pushing on. They were dominating possession. Celtic will dominate possession in domestic football. So they should be able to play, you know, attacking players, getting right up the pitch and leave the, th- the three central defenders to, to kind of mop up with Scott Brown in front. So it's certainly a system that works well. It's always good to hear the passion that a player has for the club, though. I mean, there, there was no doubt about it that, that Shane Duffy was was coming to Celtic. That was, even though Brighton wanted wanted to potentially wanted to sell him for a, for a transfer fee rather than for a loan. But I mean, we with the Brighton assistant manager Billy Reid on the show mm-hmm. uh, a few days ago talking about him, and and if you listened to Billy Reid, uh, Aaron, you would you know you would be really excited about the player Celtic are getting, you know. He he's a, an English Premier League quality defender, um, joining Celtic be, because he he wants to play for Celtic. That must be great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think you get enough of that nowadays. Um, obviously, you hear stories of people coming for money and obviously jumping ship as quick as they can. Um, it's quite refreshing to hear that, to be honest. Um, but I think on the flip I, side, Aaron, sometimes that brings a little bit more pressure because your family are all Celtic fans. Everybody from you know, your mates back home are Celtic fans. Everybody wants to talk about Celtic and you're suddenly, I'm not saying carrying that burden, but you're carrying their pressure and their focus and if things don't go well, you have a bad result, they're on the phone and it just kind of builds a little bit. So, you know, it has its pluses because of, you know, the Celtic connection and, and where he's from in Northern Ireland, but also that little bit more pressure of everybody wanting to be, it's probably a little bit more intense with everybody focusing on such a big season. They're expecting you to carry that can for them. Yeah. He's um nice. No, he's, he's definitely going to be an asset for us this season, and he's obviously he's an experienced centre half as well. Played at the top, uh, 
one of the top leagues in the world, so I think uh, he'll definitely, definitely. Well, that was Aaron. <laughs> he disappeared rather abruptly. Thanks for calling us, Aaron, on the Go Radio Football Show. Next up, Regan has got in touch with us. That number again, if you want to be on the show, 0808 17 17 700. Hi, Regan. Hi, uh, I talk about Scotland. Yes. So just, uh, I think people have been a bit ne- negative towards Scotland. I mean, we've just beat Czech Republic 2-1 and uh, and we're, and we're unbeaten in, f- in five. Yeah. F- 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 five competitive games and people and people are still complaining. Yeah, so I just want to see what the panel's thought on that is. Because yeah, it's a good, it's it's a really good point, Reagan. Um, are we too negative? I mean, you know, obviously, Stephen, you you live here, you you soak up Scottish football. You're very much a part of it as a pundit. Um, but you're a, you're a Northern Ireland international as well. You're just back from watching them getting thumped last night. Just thought I'd throw <laughs> that one in. Five uh, one against Norway. Uh, you you you've got a, you must have a, a a good viewpoint on on what we're like about about the Scotland team. Are we too? Ne- is Regan right? Are we too negative about it? We spoke about it probably briefly. Is it the pressure that's put on it because everybody is desperate for success. And when you look at the players individually, you look at how they perform for their clubs, and they all perform very well individually, but. There has been an issue over the past number of years about getting that connection, getting everybody pushing the right direction, getting the you know the players in the in a system that suits. I mean, we're talking about it's a conundrum of of Tierney and Andy Robertson, and I think Steve Clark's probably fed up talking about it. But that squad there, that training camp just got, or that camp that were in there, it's the first time they've been in the squad together under Steve Clark. So it's the first chance he's had to try and put something into practice. And people think as he left Kieran Tierney out of the second game, well, it mustn't have worked. That's not what he's going to do. But again, with Peter Grant on talking about minutes and what you do and, and messages and making sure players are fresh to go back to their clubs because their season starts. So there's so many things to come under it. Naturally, the performances you want to improve, but every time you turn up, something changes different. He's not fit. He's going to play. So you're continually trying to find a formula that works for the players you have available. But that's the lot of every international manager, isn't it? Well, it, it, is. it is. And some are successful. Well, they are. It's. I think the players have a responsibility. When they turn up, they have to try and bring their A game, because you see players doing things for the clubs, and you turn up at international level, and they're slightly off it. You know, they're not mentally where they should be. The performance level, they're losing their passing. You know, their their decision making isn't great at times. So, that all has to come together. As much as Steve Clark has a responsibility, the players have a responsibility to bring that as well. And it's what we spoke about that expectation, that pressure. I think sometimes. It, it definitely is a burden. You can see the players not performing to their best just in case. It you know, puts a little bit of fear. And people thought when Steve Clark got the job, it's going to be open, attractive football. Nothing against Steve Clark, but when you watched his Kilmarnock sides, they were rigid. You know, they didn't play over the attacking football. They were well structured. They sat themselves back. You know, they played in the counter attack quite a lot. And I know people are saying, well, Scotland don't look organised. Scotland looked a little bit disjointed, so at least he should bring that to it. So that is his responsibility. But Steve is never going to bring this wonderful brand of flow in football because his teams are always structured and hard to play against. Did you answer that question earlier on about for, for the next game? Is he going to stick with the back three? Is it going to be the three? And is it going to be the three with Scott McTominay replaced by a, a more experienced defender? In there, what do you think? Well, What's going to happen? The fact that he started sixteen different players over the two games would tell me that his first eleven is going to come from that sixteen, Rob, because the, the other players like Declan Gallagher, Stephen O'Donnell, who were on that trip and could have played centre half, didn't. You know, so I'm thinking 
they mustn't be in a stop process because he would have played them at some stage to do that. So out of those 16 players that started, 11 will come from that. What the setup is, what the system is, if he goes back to a back four, he then has two or three days to coach that all again and to refresh the players. So changing the back three in this camp was a little bit of a risk, but he had to see if it worked. And only he will know after that if it's worked or not. He then will have to evaluate, is that what we're going to do moving forward? Was Were we exploited against Israel? If we were, then we've got to go back to the four. And his coaching sessions all that week, building up to Israel, is going to be back to a back four. It's complicated, but he doesn't have the time to do it. So he has to try things out. Uh, McTominay, for me, is not a centre-half. I thought he was square at times. You know, his, his body shape wasn't right. He had to make improvements. And that... For me, that's too big a risk to put into Scotland's biggest game in years to put an inexperienced centre-half in a position where he's not comfortable. Glasgow's own Go Radio, the football show, 0808 17 17 700. The Go Radio football show. It's 6.25, good to have you with us on the football show. News just coming to us that Aaron Hickey uh, appears to have completed his move now to Bologna. There was an interest from uh, Bayern Munich and AC Milan and the 18-year-old Hearts defender, but it appears that he is Italy bound. He says after, on his Instagram, he says, after four amazing years at the club, I want to give a massive thanks to my family and friends, all the players, staff and fans for supporting me through the years, wishing all the best to Hearts in the coming seasons. And of course, the coming season uh, means Hearts in the Championship looking to get back to the top flight. Uh, we'll maybe speak about Aaron Hickey before we're finished tonight. The glamour move to <laughs> Bologna. Lucky lad. If you want to get in touch, here's how. Yeah, you can do it on socials just like Aaron's been posting at Go Football Show. He's not been posting us, but you never know. Uh, or you can drop us a text 87474. You can do it that way. Put go at the start of your message and that'll come th- straight through to our studio. We'll be able to see that and read it out for you. Or alternatively, you can do what Alan has done and many others throughout the night. 0808 17 17 700. Give us a call. Really good news that two of Saturday's Premiership games will be played in front of fans after the Scottish Government today approved their applications to be test events. So Aberdeen's game against Kilmarnock and Ross County's meeting with Celtic will both have up to 300 spectators. Not too many, but it's certainly a, a step forward. Um, 300 more than none, eh? That's true. That's a fair point. (laughs) Aberdeen have also confirmed uh, the 300 places will be allocated after a ballot of the first 7,500 fans who bought season tickets. And they're also hopeful of being allowed to welcome 750 people into their game against Motherwell at uh, Pitodri the following weekend. Let's speak to Alan Russell, who is uh, Chief Executive of Supporters Direct Scotland. Hi, Alan. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic news. Um, we were expecting some test events um, um, before, before um, uh, supporters could re- return in big numbers. We hoped it had been about, been about 10 days ago, um, but this weekend is, is a great opportunity for a few uh, Aberdeen and Ross County fans to see their team in action, and, uh, and that's, that's a very welcome return after six months of, of no spectating. And clearly, there'll be a pretty close evaluation of how it all works out, what happens before there'll be any decision taken about whether the numbers can be upped. That's right, yeah. I'm not sure what the criteria will be exactly for that. I think it's as much for um, preparedness of the club as well as um, you know the, the spectators. Um, and I'm not sure what uh, feedback they'll be getting from the, from the supporters uh, about their experience on the day and, and what it was like to actually go into a stadium. Um, so we'll we'll wait and see um, on that one. And it's a boost, uh, a welcome boost, isn't it? But after these uh, the local lockdowns, which have been coming our way in the last few days, which uh, 
um, make make us think that we're heading back into those dark days again. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's and it's uh, it's worrying that that those uh, lockdowns are are being being introduced and the numbers are are, are spiking in some parts of Scotland. Um, good news to an extent that is local lockdowns, um, but that's not great for the for the football clubs in those areas that are are trying to get back to business. Really, the challenge for these two clubs, Ross County and Aberdeen, is going to be uh, picking <laughs> picking the fans. It's going to be um, that, that's going to go down badly with some. I think it's the only the only fair way to do it is by a ballot, uh, and I understand a few other clubs uh, were preparing if their applications had to hold test events. Uh, we've been successful. They were going to do it by ballot as well. It seems to be the the the, the sensible way to do it. Um, you know, 300 people will be will, will feel very very lucky, uh, and thousands will will feel like they've missed out. But um, I'm sure even the thousands that miss out will be will be will be pleased that some uh, supporters are getting back because that means uh, the date when we can all get back is is going to be sooner rather than later. Alan, what's been your involvement uh, in the whole process to come to this decision? Have you been involved in the talks with the government and with football clubs? Uh, not in the last couple of weeks about the test events. Um, earlier in the summer, we were involved in the in the SFA's working groups about a return to football. Um, uh, so yeah, I, you know, from 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 the beginning when they when they started looking at that, they involved us as a supporters organisation um, in, in in developing the the approach to that, uh, but not specifically about these test events. No. Alan, do you think when it comes to, we were talking about this earlier, about music not being allowed in the pubs, do you think it would be a bit of a strange atmosphere for the fans that do get in if there's no music and if they're not allowed to sing? I mean, surely they must be allowed to cheer. <laughs> can stop them? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure how you can stop people from cheering. Um, I, mean, I think if physical distancing is in place, then, then the risks are, are managed through that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about uh, about no singing on that. I understand that in a in, in a pub, um, you know, when they when they when they, when there's music on, or if a, a match is being uh, shown in a pub and the, the volume up uh, up loud, everybody's got to uh, talk a bit louder. And if you're sitting across the table with somebody, you'll be you're talking right into their face. I think it's different in a in a football stand. Um, if you're if you're sitting three seats away from the nearest person, uh, so I'll wait and see what the what the guidance is around around that and whether people are allowed to to cheer or to sing. Um, With a mask yeah. on, it's not going to be that loud anyway, so it'll be fine. No, that's not. <laughs> and only three three hundred people rattling around in a big stadium, it's not going to be that loud. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess one of the critical things though is that um, whatever the expectations are, are on supporters are. Uh, they need to be communicated really, really clearly to them, so everybody understands what is they expect to do to do and not do, but also more importantly, understand why they're being asked to do those things or not do those things. Um, so if you're being asked to re- to stay in your seat or come at a certain time or uh, leave at a certain time or uh, whatever the guidance says, um, we need to really explain to people really well why those requests are being made and why it's so important to do that and and i think if the amount of preparation that's gone into this throughout the summer um since march really um when these these discussions have started um that's a lot of hard work that a lot of people have done to get to this point um and i think the just to get it over the line is communicating it really really well so people understand what's expected of them um, and then that, that's that's reassuring for everybody else um, who's who's who hopefully, hopefully wanted to get back to watch a football match, you know, in the next month or two months. But it's also probably a little bit worried about what the environment's going to be like. I think they have to look after each other. And I think a lot of supporters will be a little bit worried about, about actually coming back to watch a match and not knowing, you know, how safe it is and, and so on. It almost eradicates the guy or, or the woman who, who wants to leave the game early because the team are getting beat. 
Oh. You know, you would imagine that, you know, if your team's getting beat, you may have to sit through the punishment right to the very end. There's none of this duking away with five minutes to go. And, it's going to be a bit obvious when there's only 300. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I'd imagine, yeah, there'll, but, be a, I'd imagine there'll be a meet-up time before you go in. You'll be allocated at a time where you have to be at the stadium. Yeah. And likewise, right. after it, I'd imagine each role will go individually to try and get people out of the stadium. So uh, yeah. people may have to sit I, yeah, against their wishes yeah, if their team's not playing well. <laughs> I'd advise them to bring a good book just in case. Yeah, because I imagine the pie stalls won't be open either. No, won't be able to get no, half-time munchies. That's, that's what I'm understanding. No refreshments at all. Um, that's one of the, the big sort of risk areas of of transmission is um, is using the refreshment stands. Um, so it's keeping people's movement once they're in the stadium to an absolute minimum. Um, so they, they they keep that that physical distancing. Uh, and I imagine with, as as with everything, these these uh, these restrictions will be gradually relaxed when we know it's safe to do so. Um, and we'll get more more people into the stadiums and, and slightly more more like a normal day at the football as time progresses. But certainly to start with, um, it's going to be pretty strict. Uh, and I think that's the best way to, to go in, in, in terms of giving, us a, giving ourselves the best chance of getting back in larger numbers and, and to feel like a normal football season again. And I'm sure it's the same for, for Crags and um, Rob as it is for myself. When I'm going to, fortunate enough to go and do the reporting at the matches, we have to do first thing in the morning a health test to make sure that we have, if we have any symptoms or if there's any connection with anybody, we make it known and we don't go. So I, I guess we're relying on these fans who are successfully chosen through the ballot process to be sensible. And if they do have any slight symptoms, that they then make it aware to the club. So I guess it's quite a big responsibility on them to make sure that they or of all of Scottish football, that they're quite open and honest about everything. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, don't want anybody to put, put their fellow supporters at risk and put the game at risk as well. And that's the, 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 the larger repercussions of, of this is any time that you know, people are a little bit lax with the, with the rules, it puts the whole game at risk uh, and the viability of, 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 of our football clubs, uh, the clubs that we love, um, you know, are, are under threat if we don't do a really good job of getting everybody back safely. Yeah, I mean, we've seen players making bad decisions already and we've seen the repercussions of that, serious repercussions and also teetering on the brink of going back to where we were. So there is massive responsibility, isn't there, for, for supporters as well to, to adhere to, to the what will be strict instructions, Alan? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think we only have to remind ourselves by looking at those, those incidents with, with players um, not following the rules um, properly just to look how close that got us to, to having everything um, stopped again. Uh, if people aren't taking it seriously uh, already, you know, just have a little look at that and have a think about that and, and just see how, how close we came to, to our football being um, being put on put back on ice again. Uh, and we can't risk that happening again. So you know, asking everybody to be to be responsible, you know, those who are lucky enough to get into the, the grounds uh, give ourselves the best chance of it being successful. Um, and then we can we can watch a lot more football. Alan, just to move away from the from the fans back into the stadiums again, what about fan ownership? That's been a, a bit of a trend over the past couple of seasons, isn't it? You know, supporters want to have a bigger say in their club, wanting to invest more in their club. Is that something you see progressing even more over the next few years? Uh, I hope so, yeah. Um, there's been a lot of really, really positive stories around Scotland over the last few years. Um, and particularly, I, I think the, the conversation around that has changed a little bit in that, Owners football clubs now see it as a viable way for them to preserve their legacy uh, at, the, at their club. Um, so you see that at St Mirren, at Motherwell, um, at Partick Thistle, um, um, before we unfortunately lost uh, Colin Weir, uh, and at Green and Morton now, um, owners saying, well, actually, I think that's the best long-term model for, 
for, for my club and I'm going to work with the supporters to help make that happen uh, and give them time to, to develop their skills and capability. Uh, and the biggest sort of proof that's in the pudding really is, uh, is Motherwell last season. Um, so Motherwell went, uh, became debt-free for the first time in, I think, you know, 10 or 15 years, um, finished thirds in the league, not had a great start to this season. But they've, they've shown nicely you can compete in the top half of the SPL, um, sorry, in the, in the Premiership um, under fan ownership. And I don't think people really thought that was possible a few years back, um, other than the, um, the diehard uh, believers in, in fan ownership. But now it's been proved to, to, to be possible um, almost at any level in Scottish football. Um, and I think more owners will probably look at it in that light and say, well, actually, you know, this is working pretty well. Um, and certainly um, the, uh, the, uh, the Ray family at, at Morton are the, are the latest to, to go down that route and to bring the supporters in, um, you know, actually bring them right into the boardroom, give them experience of what it takes to run the club, you know, give them time to, to get themselves ready, uh, prove that they're capable of doing it, prove that they're capable of, of, of doing it financially. Um, and then they'll they'll hand over the club and, and leave it in safe hands. And I think that's that's a fantastic story that's happening in Scotland. Um, and it's it's been a lot of hard work by people at a lot of clubs that have been through it. And, and further down in the, in, the, in the leagues, we have a, a few clubs that have been under supporter ownership for, for a good few years now. Um, and that's just become the accepted way that they, those clubs those clubs run. Um, so we're now seeing it in all four divisions. And, and that's, that's that's great news for, for, for supporters and for, and for our game. So do you think we're, do you think we are far enough down the line, and we've got enough hard evidence then to to convince us that that this works? I mean, it's a great ideal, isn't it? But um, I I, I, think, I was never I personally totally convinced that it that it was completely practical as as a scheme. I think it can work, and it can be practical. It also can go wrong. Um, if you run your club in the wrong way, it's not going to work, no matter whether it's supporter owned or owned by by a single individual it can go wrong at any football club if you if you make the wrong choices if you make the wrong decisions if you run it the wrong way um it, it's it's not there's no guarantee that it's going to work um but certainly we can see that it can work and if it's done the right way um there's absolutely no reason that, that it, it shouldn't shouldn't work i think the biggest barrier is when we look at you know the if you look at teams with with uh, ambitions to compete at the later stages of the Champions League. The way that uh, football's going globally, there's so much money going into players' wages um, that you need to have extremely deep pockets um, if, you're to, uh, if you're to compete there. Um, you know, some of the transfer fees that we're, we're seeing some, with some of the... You, know, you only have to look at Barcelona, who are fan-owned um, <laughs> through a slightly different model than we have in Scotland, but yeah, Bayern Munich uh, are fan-owned as well. So those big clubs uh, are, are, are fan owned and can make it work, but they're paying you know, you know, transfer fees and they're asking for, well, certainly, certainly for Messi, they're asking for, was it 700 million? Mm. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no supporters, a uh, group of supporters can have a whip round and find 700 million to <laughs> yeah. make those kinds of signings. <laughs> and even lower, lower down, so 10 million, 15 million, 20 million transfer fees. It's hard to find that, that kind of change down the back of the sofa. Um, but if you're running your club sustainably, uh, you're developing young players, selling them on, making money from there, as Motherwell have been doing, uh, that means you can compete. And if you get into into the Europa League, um, you can give that a good shot. And if you do well at that, the prize money there, you invest in your club and you do it the right way, um, then then there's absolutely you know no there's no reason why it can't work. Yeah, I just don't think there's many big you know single benefactors out there who are wanting to come in. And put money into Scottish football. Yeah, I remember back what beyond 23, 24 years ago when John Boyle tried it at Motherwell. 
you know, spend a lot of money, then all the power is with one person. I think football clubs like the fact that it's spread out with a you know a number of supporters investing their money or or a number of business people putting it in. It's not just one sole person in charge who makes all those decisions and then suddenly their money runs out and then the club's in trouble yeah. all the time. So I think that's why supporters like to think that they have their part to play in it. They invest their money, whether it's a small amount or, or a bigger amount, but there's more sustainability because there's going to be more people putting the money in and making those decisions as opposed to one person. That's right, yeah. And I, and I guess the common factor in any club that's that's gone, in, gone into to a really critical collapse is they've all been owned by single mm-hmm. um, single owners uh, who maybe at the start have seen seem to be good guys with the right ideas in mind. Either they're running, their money's run out or you actually find they've got uh, other motives in, in play. You, you can't really tell what, what an individual's intentions are. Um, they can appear to be the best owner pos- possible. Um, they're not always the case. But we have loads of really, really good um, sole owners of football clubs that do a great job and run things properly. So we're not saying that that's, a, that's, that's always the wrong model, um, but it certainly it seems to be a, a safer model to put the, put the power in the hands of many, as you said, um, whether, that's, whether that's a group of, of wealthy people or whether it's everybody that cares about their club, i.e. the supporters. I guess we probably should mention, Alan, Lord Willie Hockey and Sir Tom Hunter giving £1.25 million each to the FSFA to buy Hamden from Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a great way for people with, with money who care about the future of the game to, to put the money in to make, to make change. Um, same with... Uh, with James Anderson over the over the summer putting millions into Scottish football um, to because he recognised the value of football to, to the communities that we live in. Um, doing it that way rather than you know putting it into a football club and then and, and, you know, in a lot of cases what clubs do is waste the money on players and agents fees and transfer fees um, and it doesn't actually do any lasting lasting goods. Uh, if you can put the, put the money into bricks and mortar, to community work, to to doing things that are going to have a lasting lasting effect, you know that's that's a much better legacy to leave. When do you think you'll get to a game, Alan? You haven't managed to wangle your way in on a fact finding mission so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, I've not done so far. Though uh, I'm a Wraith Rovers supporter, so uh, right. our league starts uh, starts in, in at the start of October. And we're hoping by the uh, middle of October, when we when the the championship kicks off, um, that we've had quite a few of these test events at other grounds, and we're able to get in in, in greater numbers. Um, but no, uh, fact finding missions aren't really my game. <laughs> Alan, good to talk <laughs> to you. To enjoy the football. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> nice to have you on, Cheers. Alan Russell, Cheers, Alan. Chief Executive right. of Supporters Direct Scotland. The Bull Radio Football Show. Let's go. It's Rob McLean, Ali Defoy, and Stephen Craig and on the Go Radio Football Show and it's coming round to quarter to seven. You've got your headphones on. I do. I've uh, just managed to get them on. They almost flew across the room there. Um, <laughs> Scotland's under-21s. I'm not sure is that final score yet. Um, there, was a, there was a late goal in Lithuania for Alan Campbell. Let's double um, check. Lithuania. Certainly a latest score at the moment for the under-21s. Uh, 1-0. Alan Campbell, uh, you know him well, mm. Craig's adding, adding goals to his game. Yeah. Listen, he's an absolute warrior, Rob. He's one of those players as a manager you love to have in your team. He lives his life every day wanting to be the best he can. You know, I used to say to the young boys in the dressing room, sometimes young players look for a little bit of inspiration around the club. They look for a senior player who they can follow and and, and kind of model themselves on. I said, you don't need to look out with your dressing room. Alan Campbell is that model for you. Eats right, trains right, sleeps right. He's in the gym first thing. He's last away in the afternoon. So he's getting his just rewards. And I think any time that uh, a model will cider picked, and Stephen knows it himself, he wrestles with himself sometimes, 
you know, if he has to leave Allen out, and the minute he leaves him out and the game starts, he thinks, I shouldn't have done it. He's done it. First game of the season against Ross County, he knew you should have put him in. So uh, he's that important to Motherwell. He's doing it now in the international scene. So I'm absolutely delighted for him. I think that's the final score now. Uh, Lithuania nil, Scotland won. So there's a back-to-back wins for the Scotland national side, senior side, 2-1 in the Czech Republic. Everything's uh, going last, well. Know, where's the, where's the negativity? I don't know. Where, where did that negativity go? Exactly. I can't even spell it, to be Regan honest. Regan will be delighted. He will, actually. Um, Alan Campbell uh, with the only goal of that uh, game for the under-21s. And he's uh, back on club business because as the as we edge through the week, we'll be turning away from internationals and we'll be getting back to the, the club scene, those games with fans at the weekend, Aberdeen Kilmarnock and Ross County Celtic. It's Livingston uh, and Hamilton. Hamilton, Motherwell St Johnston, uh, Rangers Dundee United and St Mirren Hibs. So Alan Campbell will feature if he's uh, fit and ready to go when he comes back from Motherwell against St Johnston. Motherwell's still looking for their first win. They are. It's uh, it's been a tough start, no doubt about it. You know, when you've been at Motherwell as long as I was there, you know not everything runs smoothly. You know, there's there's setbacks and and there's, there's obstacles in the way along the road. So... Listen, they have to fight back and they've got to show what they're all about. I think the break will have done them a world of good. They've got plenty of training under their belts. They'll have refocused their minds on what they have to do. And listen, there's no doubt that Saturday's a huge game for them against St Johnston. They'll look at that and think, that's a game we can win. Not a game that they think they will win, but certainly a game they think they can win. St Johnston will feel the same. So um, it's, it's certainly an interesting game. But what stands out for me is, I just wonder when the last time we had all six games three, on, I know, on a Saturday, at three o'clock on a Saturday, Robert. I, I mean, I can't think off the top of my head. I'm sure someone out there will have... Yeah. You know, the answer right at the tip of their fingers. If they do get in touch and let us know, but that, that's incredible. And it's good to see that, you know, three o'clock on the Saturday is the traditional time for football. Yeah, sure is. Um, just getting more information on uh, that Adam Hickey transfer, which is clearly um, being in the process of being concluded. Hearts have agreed a fee in the region of £1.5 million, apparently, with Italian side Bologna for teenage defender Adam Hickey. Personal terms have been agreed, and the 18 year old is now set to travel to Italy. Uh, on Wednesday, I make that tomorrow for a medical. The Serie A side they made their first offer at the end of August, but a deal has now been struck, and Hickey expected to move to Italy despite interest from European champions Bayern Munich. Not bad knocking back Bayern Munich. <laughs> yeah, Can you imagine. I just think you know the big step for him is is that he's been used to playing first team football over the past couple of years. To go to Bayern Munich and become a an under twenty three player, under twenty one player. I'm not saying it wouldn't progress him, but. You know, you want to be in the spotlight. You want to get a chance to play first-team football. And Bologna may just offer him that opportunity. But, you know, you've got to remember, he played in a Scottish Cup final at 16. You know, so it won't phase him moving country. You know, I think he's, a, he's quite a level-headed, you know, young man. He's certainly got the ability. So it'll be interesting to see how he copes over the next two or three years. Fantastic experience for him, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's it, it's taken him out of his comfort zone. You know, how often do you see young players or players thinking... I'll just stay at home. I'll stay close to my parents. I'll stay close to my family. Where you know Ryan Gold was another one. People didn't think he would do it. He's taking himself off and he's making a career somewhere else. So it's a brave decision, and I just hope that uh, it works out for him. And maybe someday you come back to Scotland and and uh, show a much improved player as well. One deal that's already done, of course, is uh, Shane Duffy to Celtic on a season-long loan from Brighton. Here he is. Yeah, he said he is uh, very happy about his famous shirt. You always believe it one day that you can that you can play for Celtic, but um, now that I'm here, and it's sort of hard to describe with with words. So um, over the moon, obviously a, a lot of talking has, has been done. So um, I'm just really looking forward to actually getting out there and pulling it on for the first time. Yeah, we were speaking with Aaron, uh, who called in earlier on about Shane Duffy, but lots of other things surrounding Celtic. But uh, 
there's no doubt uh, the guy has wears his heart on his sleeve in terms of of playing playing with Celtic. You, you just wonder whether the build up is becoming too big. Yeah. And he, well, that's you know I think he's saying it himself. There's been a lot of talking done. He's done lots of interviews. I think the Celtic fans have welcomed him with open arms. But as I said to you earlier, carrying that pressure of, of where he lives in Northern Ireland, a huge Celtic community, big fan base, you know, so he'll be getting pestered for tickets, he'll be getting pestered for jerseys, everything that goes. He's living the dream of so many people from his area. So what he's got to be careful of is, uh, careful of is he doesn't have that emotional side role playing in the games and wanting to show this is how much it means to me, you know, making tackles and taking himself out of his comfort zone. So I think he's experienced enough now to go just be a proper defender, do what you have to do. That's why the club brought you there, was to be that aggressive central defender, try and add a few goals from set plays, and I'm sure it'll work out. Talking of experience, you were watching... Uh... Stephen Davis, the Rangers midfielder, winning his 119th cap for Northern Ireland uh, last night, equaling Pat Jennings' record. Yeah. Phenomenal. And you would imagine injuries permitting a few more to come. Absolutely. You know, he, he's been a, an absolute stalwart for Northern Ireland over the years. Uh, I think he made his debut in 2005, 119 caps. That's, what, 15 and a half years of playing international football. And, and people say, well, it's a privilege, that's what you should do. But there's so many sacrifices you have to make over that period with regards to family holidays in the middle of June, you know, time away from your family when others aren't are playing international football. So taking all that together, I think he's captained the country the most games ever as well since Michael O'Neill gave him the captain's armband captain the country for the first ever time in a, in a European Championships. Uh, and I think, you know, the mark of Stephen is is that any former player he played with at international level or club club level or any manager he worked on at international level or club level, they all have a good word to say about him. There's very few people have anything bad to say about him. Uh, he's a low-maintenance player, you know, for a have a 15-year international career tells you about him as a professional, how he conducts himself. And that's not even talking about him as a football player. Wonderful talent, great in possession of the ball, a natural footballer. He doesn't lead by shouting and screaming, he leads by how he plays and how he handles the football. So he's an absolute gentleman, he really is. Uh, he'll go down, you know, I certainly live long in the memory of Northern Ireland fans of being a, a, you know, a terrific international captain. Last night probably wasn't the right night for him. Unfortunately, they lost by five goals to one. Um, Johnny Evans wasn't fit and Jamal Lewis, who's just about to c uh, complete a £15 million move to Newcastle United from Norwich. It shows you and it highlights if we're two or three players away from our top 11, we struggle at times. And that certainly was the case last night. Although we came up against a phenomenal talent, Erling Haaland Rob. Honestly, it was one of the best performances from a young 20-year-old I witnessed at Windsor Park. His ability to bring others into play, his two goals were absolutely sublime but it just looks natural for him to be a football player. Just finishing, it's just instinctive. He's in the right place and he's got so much composure for a young player. In fact, his manager, Lars Lagerback, the former Swedish manager, was saying he thinks he's got a little bit of Henrik Larsson in him because he's a really good team player, but also a little bit of Zlatan Ibrahimovic because he has that single-mindedness just for goals, goals, goals. That's not a bad comparison. And while, uh, as Scotland fans were uh, sympathising with Northern Ireland's plight last night, we were also a little bit worried about the prospect of getting past Israel. It's one crisis at a time for us, but uh, <laughs> that could come next month in the semi-final yep. of the playoffs against Israel if we get through. It's Norway or Serbia, isn't it? But yep. but there's a fair chance. Well, is the, I would imagine it's it, it could well be Norway, and and they've got a f fair bit of ammunition up front, haven't they? Yeah. Well, I think I think Serbia had said that in the draw they didn't want Norway because they're so strong at home. Austria beat them on Friday night in the First Nations League game and Lars Lagerback had a real go at them. He said he was expecting a response. I think that was their first defeat in 25 games or something in Oslo. So 
So it's really been a fortress for them. So I think if they, they play Serbia in Oslo and if they win, they play Scotland or Israel in Oslo. So it's really in their favour to get the major championships and it would be a big task to go to Oslo and beat that Norwegian side, that's for sure. We're finishing the way we started, which is speaking about Scotland. Uh, let's forget that Norway or Serbia <laughs> match for a moment because uh, we will have all eyes focused on, on that game next month in the, the, the playoff semi-final against Israel. We, we kicked off the show with, with Peter Grant, who was defending Stevie Clark. Not that we were attacking no. him, but, but the, basically explaining, because he's been part of the Alex McLeish setup at international level, how difficult it is uh, pulling things together. Um, and 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 I, and I think casting aspersions in uh, to a degree in, in the direction of some players for whom the importance of international mm-hmm. has faded in recent times. Uh, we, we spoke to Julie Fleeting uh, as well, um, who was being positive as you would be four points out of six after those games against Israel and the, and the Czech Republic. But level of performance has to go up. It does, there's no doubt about it. And and they get to the European Championships to beat Israel first and foremost, Rob, the performance level is going to have to go up. But you look at between now and then, the players will have had potentially another four or five 90 minutes under their belt. Physically, they should be in good condition. There should be no issues about fatigue. They've had a long break, uh, unfortunately, due to COVID. So it's about Steve Clark learning lessons from the last two games, picking that right 11, getting the system right, getting the personnel right, and then the players coming and bringing their A game to the table. They've had a good look at Israel on Friday night. They're a very good side. If they're not at it, they're not at their best. And if Steve doesn't get the system right and doesn't get the information across to his players, it could be a difficult night for them. But keep the faith, have belief. Scotland have more than enough to beat Israel. Yeah, and maybe we have another plus. I'm going to add another plus to the two I mentioned earlier because Lyndon Dykes has been a revelation uh, at number nine mm-hmm. for, for Scotland. Uh, and you would imagine he's going to be holding that position yeah. down, maybe alongside Ollie McBurney uh, when he comes back for, for quite a while. David Marshall continues to be mm-hmm. our top goalkeeper in terms of those available. But let's hear it for Ryan Christie as well. Uh, three goals in his last four mm-hmm. internationals. Those two penalties... Yeah, those. The, those, those sorry, those, that was completely my fault. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. Sorry. Is it time to go? Well, well actually, in a minute. But just about it's time to go. But yeah. those, those, so those, those two penalties against yeah. Israel um, and last night in Olomouc. He's a go-to man, and you think about his career in Celtic over the past eighteen months. He's been the go-to man for Neil Lennon. He's the catalyst for the press. He's, he's energetic. His driving ability, taking men on, stepping up in the big moments to hit you know crucial penalty kicks. Him along with Lyndon Dykes, that seems to be the partnership that Steve will go with, whether it's a kind of one-up, one-off, or whether he'll just play as a number 10 in behind. But certainly, Ryan Christie is the go-to man. I'm going to take the hint. I'm normally, so sorry, no, normally the music is very <laughs> soft underneath. That time it slapped me right across the face. But it is time to go. That's Tuesday's Go Radio Football Show. We'll see you tomorrow between 5 and 7. <laughs> the Go Radio Football Show. Let's go.